0: Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Roekel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I wanna let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Barard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you wanna get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christitychurch.ca or you can visit christitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano.
1: The scripture reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 14 verses 1 through 21. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bowed him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodians, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it was not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came around, the daughter of Herodians danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus now when Jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself but when the crowds heard it they found him, they, fa- they followed him on foot from the towns when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They did not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm the pastor here at Christ City Church. Uh, it's my joy again to, to welcome you into our time of uh, the preached word um, in this particular passage. <clears throat> but also, let me uh, just add an emphasis to what Emelina has already said. Um, our worship night on Wednesday is going to be awesome, and you guys should come. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a, a more evangelistic focus um, with our uh, worship night. We want to spend some time together um, remembering God's grace and his goodness to us, but also praying for those that have not yet come to know Jesus as we've come to know him, Uh, to really encourage one another to to be evangelists, but also the most important part, to be praying for the salvation of our friends and our neighbors and our family members. Uh, So if you could prioritize that and come and join us, that would be fantastic. Uh, We'll have a wonderful time together. Well, we'll look at this passage in just a moment, but uh, let's pray together before we do. Father, we ask that you would bless us now, um, that the power of your Holy Spirit would be working through your word, the revelation uh, that you have given to us um, in the Bible, Lord, that we would see Jesus, that we'd be changed by what we see, that we would grow into life that is truly life and obedience to him. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our series this morning in the goodness of Jesus. And this morning, through the texts that we just read, these, these two texts that are, are different stories, but held, I think, quite close together, both in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, the, the story of Herod and the beheading of John and the story of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. And we're looking at these stories because they show us this beautiful thing about the goodness of Jesus, that he's unique in his goodness as king. And we need a good king. See, Proverbs 29, verse 2 says this. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Can we get an amen? Amen. Okay, well, that's, that's kind of, you know, mild. You guys aren't that enthusiastic. Maybe you're okay with wicked people ruling. Um, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. I think we all know that when our leaders fail us, it's a painful experience. It's a difficult thing. Our lives are always affected as human beings for good or for worse or better or for worse, depending on who is leading us. And sadly, one of the problems we face as human beings, is a significant one, is that just like we are people that struggle with this deep sin problem in our hearts, so also our leaders struggle with that same sin problem. And there's a problem that comes with that. That means that when, when they lie, it affects us. When they lie, it erodes truth in the society in which we live. When they cave to corruption, it undermines our trust in the structures of our own society. If that corruption isn't dealt with swiftly, it promotes only further corruption, then decays further and further. When they choose, amongst all the choices they could make, the wrong path towards greater flourishing and blessing for the nation or the city or the neighborhood, whatever it might be, then we are all affected. See, for our life to go well, we need good leadership. We need a better king. But where is that leadership to be found? And again, that's why we're looking at this passage because in this story we see, contrasted by Matthew, carefully juxtaposed, two banquets and two kings. One that's opulent and in a palace with elite guests hosted by a wealthy king. Another one that's poor simple on a hillside with crowds and the needy and the poor hosted by King Jesus. But between these two banquets, only one of them leads to the rich satisfaction and blessing of the people. So we're going to see the goodness of Jesus in this text and the feeding of the 5,000 in particular, because he is the King who satisfies us, who fills our hunger with his compassion, with his provision and with his abundant blessing. So those are our three points this morning. We're going to see the goodness of Jesus and who he is as a good, great king, in particular in the ways that we see in the feeding of the 5,000, his compassion and his provision and his abundant blessing. So we'll start right away. Our first point, we'll look at Jesus' goodness as a king who satisfies us with his compassion. Look at verses 13 to 14. We're going to spend most of our time, by the way, in the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to just remember the Herod story as the backdrop for it. All right, so verse 13 says this, Now when Jesus heard this about Herod and the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So something we need to know when we look at the gospel of Matthew is, is this, is that Matthew from the very beginning has been very careful to identify Jesus, not just as a good teacher, not simply as a miracle worker, but as the king that God had promised would come to us to be our savior. In Matthew, Jesus is king. In fact, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's uh, the Greek word or translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah. And Messiah meant to be the anointed one, and to be the anointed one was the one who had oil poured over your head as a sign of God's favor and blessing as the one who would rule and who would lead God's people. So Matthew means us to see in Jesus and all throughout his gospel, he's been making this point, we're meant to see in him the fulfillment of all of God's promises to send the Messiah King, the Savior King. The one that the prophets prophesied in Ezekiel thirty four twenty three, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. This king now, Jesus, the descendant of David, the one who was promised to come and to rule, is here, and that's really what we see in this story of the feeding of the five thousand: is the beauty and the wonder now of Jesus as the good shepherd as the Messiah King who's come now to care for and to love his people. And just look at how different King Jesus is from King Herod. We saw in the story before that that Herod, that's Herod Antipas, there's a few Herods in the Gospels, but that's Herod Antipas, and, and he seized and chained up and he murdered innocent John the Baptist. But contrasted with that murderous seizing and binding and chaining up, we see Jesus in his goodness as king not oppressing and lying and perverting the course of justice, but looking out over the tired crowds who've been desperately following him on foot. He was sailing along on the boat. He's having the good ride, easy time, resting. And the crowds are so desperate to be near King Jesus, they're walking along on the land to try to catch up with him. He sees them tired in the wilderness. And he has compassion on them. And actually in Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus looked at them and he thought they were like sheep without a shepherd scripture is he looked at them and he saw that they were leaderless. Who was going to lead these people into the good pasture? They don't have a leader who's caring for them. They got Herod. It's not going well for them. And he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And he cares for them. Verse 14 again says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. He saw them in their need. And he healed their sick. You know, my grandfather was a professional forester when he was much younger, and part of his privilege of being a professional forester in the role that he had was that he got to live in various places in the world and consult in various developing nations to help uh, lead them to a place that had developed a strong and a stable and a sustainable uh, forestry industry. And one time when he was Uh, doing this work in Malaysia. He was living there with his family, with my mom, uh, was there with him and the rest of the kids. Uh, Pierre Trudeau came and visited them. And Pierre Trudeau came and visited them because this is a significant partnership that Canada was doing to help Malaysia. My grandpa was the guy consulting. And my grandfather had uh, this interesting moment where he taught Pierre Trudeau how to drive a skidder. And the Skitter's this like enormous tractor, you know, out in the jungles of Malaysia. And he showed him how to operate this thing. And Pierre Trudeau met my mom. And my mom uh, subsequently um, named her Gibbon after Pierre Trudeau. Uh, she had this, this ape. And she said, well, they look kind of the similar. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to call him Pierre. And she named him these things. And um, it's an interesting story, one that I grew up with. And uh, one that reminds me that, that when we have stories of meeting leaders, they're kind of significant. Because to see our leaders in this world, and more importantly, I think to be seen by them is pretty rare, isn't it? So rare that we kind of make a point. This one time this thing happened and I met the leader. They saw me, I shook their hand. But how much more significant would it be to have that leader come and to stop and to get down on their knees and look you on the face and, you know, care for you and, and see you in your moment of struggle? and show you compassion for what you're actually going through. Whether that was, you know, your struggle to pay the rent, just a daily basis in Vancouver, nice to have leaders that came and and saw our need. Uh, Or your struggle to navigate the healthcare system and your personal health and the struggles that you're going through. Or someone who'd stop and take the time to see your struggle as you seek to educate your children and care for their needs and give them a hope and a future in this country. And that's why looking at Jesus in this text is so significant because he's a different kind of king. Like, Herod didn't have time for these crowds. He was too busy having banquets with all the important people. But here is Jesus taking time for crowds of average people with real problems. Jesus sees them and he has compassion on them. In Christ city, you need to know something about the goodness of King Jesus. And it's this. He's not a ruler who's too distracted with ruling or maintaining his voting base to see you. He sees you. He cares for you. He has compassion for you. And furthermore, praise God, he is God. And that means his capacity to care for you and to see you is infinite. His attention is infinite the psalmist in psalm 139 describes the interest and the care and the compassion of god for us with these remarkable words he says this O lord you have searched me and you've known me he knows you christ city each of you you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me, the hand of a loving parent caring for their child. Such knowledge, the psalmist says, is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Jesus is a different kind of king, one who is good because in his compassion, He sees you and he cares for you. So let me encourage you. Can you, let me encourage you. Can can you pray to him? Not can you pray for him, but will you pray to him? Will you actually talk to him like he sees you and he knows you? Because he does. And he cares about the things that are going on in your life that are burdening your heart right now. I think so often we think they're too little or too, I don't know. We just don't want to bring them to God and we don't do it. But he's compassionate and he wants to care for you. Bring your cares and your burdens to him. So Jesus is an incomparably good king, especially contrasted to to Herod because he's got compassion. He cares for the people. But he's also incomparably good as king because he satisfies us with his provision. Look at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So to get the scene right in our mind, we need to imagine the crowds in the dusk, sunset, it's getting dark in the wilderness, and they're tired. Right? When we read the story in verse 13, we read that these crowds had followed Jesus on foot in the hot sun, well, he was in the boat to be where he is. But Jesus, he, he saw them on the shore and then he healed them. And he was with them all day teaching and healing. And now it's getting late. The disciples are getting a little alarmed. Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you've been watching the time. Uh, Jesus, there's not really any food here. It's the desert. There's no supermarket, no restaurants. You got to send them away. But Jesus says to them in verses 16 to 17, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. I'm wondering, how is this possible? It's interesting as we look at the story, I think we wonder, why did Jesus tell his disciples to give the crowds something to eat? It's a good question, I think. Why did he tell his disciples to do that? Well, I think what's going on here is is that Jesus is, is working throughout the gospel to teach his disciples to trust him and as they trust him to know and to have confidence that through him, they are now being equipped to carry out the work of building his kingdom, of expanding the kingdom and caring for the people. But here in this story, the disciples aren't quite there yet. They don't have the faith in Jesus that they need to to really trust him and to go and do this work. So Jesus, again, in his mercy and kindness, he says, okay, well, let me show you who I am. Let me again remind you of who I am as the good king who provides all that you need. And he does it by graciously working this miracle that we see in verse 18. He says, bring them here to me, the the fish and the loaves. And he orders a crowd to sit down on the grass takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, certainly, on the one hand, this is a beautiful story about a miracle that Jesus actually did. The wonder of, of God incarnate being there with his people caring enough about what was going on in their life and their physical needs to work a miracle to care and to feed for over 5,000 people. That's a wonderful thing to remember. It's a wonderful thing to know that God is the kind of God. He shows us this in Jesus who cares even about our basic needs. He loves us. We learn in Matthew 6, we don't need to be anxious because our Father knows our needs. He loves us and he cares for us. That's a good, wonderful thing in this story. And yet, I think there's more in this story than that. Because this story, in the context of the gospel, in the context of contrasting King Jesus on the one hand with King Herod on the other hand, we're reminded that King Jesus provides for us in another very significant way as well. See, he fed the crowds with bread But in the Gospels, we learn and we see how he feeds them and us, not just with physical bread, but with the bread of the truth of God's word. See, as Messiah King, Isaiah wrote about him saying that he is wonderful counselor. He's the one who comes, who teaches the truth, who lives the truth, who leads his people into the truth, who guides us into the way of life. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we see again and again and again the way that the crowds are astounded and attracted to the beauty of who he is as Messiah King who brings them the truth. Uniquely brings them the truth even. It's this beautiful, compelling thing. The crowds are drawn to his teaching. They're drawn to his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. He taught the Word of God as God incarnate. And he confronted the lies and the deceit and the uncertainty of the world around him. A world, remember, where King Herod had just ignored the truth of God's word that adultery is immoral. He'd ignored it. Don't talk to me, John. I'm going to do things my way. A world where where King Herod had been ashamed of the truth because he was afraid of looking bad in front of his dinner guests where the leader wouldn't even stand up to what was right and true because he was so worried about what other people thought of him. A world where King Herod perverted justice and maligned the truth by condemning the innocent. We need a Messiah king who teaches us the truth, Christ said he. There's a world where the crowds are used to the Pharisees who perverted the truth of God with their religious hypocrisy. They'd say, follow God this way, and then they wouldn't do it themselves. They wouldn't live wholehearted lives of devotion to God as the scriptures commanded. There's a world where the crowds are used to people like the Roman governor, Pilate, who when Jesus stood before him on trial, asked Jesus, what is truth? A world of confusion. And lies and obfuscation about the truth. And into this world arrives a different kind of king King Jesus, one who teaches truth powerfully and with the authority of Almighty God. That's who Jesus is. You know, sometimes if you're up hiking in the mountains, what happens is that the clouds move in. When the clouds move in, when you're up in the mountains, uh, you might be climbing, you might be hiking, um, but the, the mist starts swirling all around you to the point that sometimes you can become dangerously dizzy. You lose sight of what's up and what's down. You can't make sense of reality any longer. You can get lost, or if it's really, really dangerous, you can fall off the mountain and die. But without truth, it's the same in our lives. In this world, we live in a foggy existence, trying to find out which way's up and which way's down, trying to figure out how do we make sense of the reality that we live in, that we've been given. And in his mercy, King Jesus has come to ground us, to stabilize us in the truth. Truth that by the way, Jesus is uniquely equipped to teach. Do you know who Jesus is? He's God incarnate. He made the reality that we live in. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether visible or invisible. So the universe and all of its laws made by Jesus. Gravity, gravity. Who designed its structure? Jesus. Mathematics? Jesus. Social structures? Because he made you and I, he knows how you and I operate. Jesus created our morality. He created the ways that things ought to be in our families, in our societies, and our personal lives. There's a structure and a fabric to reality, and Jesus is the one who made that reality. So when Jesus speaks, his words aren't just a little bit true. His words reverberate through every atom of this created world because by that same word, all things were made in the first place. Isn't that amazing? If you're looking for truth, look no further than Jesus. Now, you can't argue with Jesus about your truth versus his truth. We're not going to argue about your truth versus his truth because You live in Jesus' truth. You live, you literally live and exist in the spoken word of Jesus become reality. It's a beautiful, but maybe a confrontational truth. I want you to know that Jesus confronts us with his truth and feeds us with his truth because he loves us. Because he knows that the life that we long for can never come by rebelling against his created reality. Because he knows that the happiness we long for can only come by submitting to the truth of God that's in Jesus Christ. Now, can I speak to just something as an aside, an objection, maybe conversations that we get ourselves into just for a moment? I think it's very often the case, isn't it, that when we talk about we talk about truth or not truth. We talk about, about what Jesus teaches and the reality that he's made, especially his morality. There's an objection that very often comes up, and it's this. Yeah, but what does it matter if someone lives against the truth of God's word if it just makes them happy and they're not hurting anybody? You heard that objection before? Like, what does it matter? Why can't they just do what they want and follow, follow their own lives? Well, it matters because living against reality is never neutral, Christ City. When you push against reality, reality pushes back and we get hurt. But it's more sinister than that because we don't just follow our desires however we want in this world. We kind of think if I just follow my desires wherever I want, it'll make me happy. If I can satisfy myself according to what I want, I'll be happy. But that's not quite the full picture. So the Bible describes A bigger picture, we have a spiritual enemy who is at work deceiving us and holding us captive in our desires to pull us further and further away from God and the life that God offers us. So, why can't we just live how we like if it doesn't hurt others? Because that question's a lie. No man is an island. And living in opposition to God will always result in our suffering and our sorrow, to ourselves, to our society, and to the world that we live in. And there's good news on the other side of this. Because the life that every person in Vancouver and in this world longs for can be found. It can be found. But the first step to rich, meaningful life is to submit to Jesus and to allow yourself to be instructed by the truth. To come to him, to learn, to feed on the bread of the word of God. So let me ask you this morning, which leaders are you listening to? Which teachers fill your mind and your ears on a regular basis? Are they leading you into the truth of God's word, into his reality to structure you and build you up in life that is truly life? Are they pulling you away from the truth of God? I want to invite you to come into hear a better word from Jesus. You have a teacher. He's given you a book. He wants to teach you how this world works and how you can be a human being and flourish to his glory. And his words, by the way, they're not just the red letters in the Bible. Jesus is God. The Bible is the word of God. From beginning to end, the Bible is Jesus' words. Come, let me invite you, open up the Bible read it if you're not reading the bible daily read the bible daily let the truth of the word of god wash over you and instruct you and ground you in reality as it is come here a better word from jesus if you are a parent and you do not read your children in the bible can i challenge and encourage you read your kids the bible read your kids the bible they need to be rooted and built up and established in the word of god if you're not sure where to start or what resources to use, I'd love to talk to you and to give you some good ones. We need to devour the word of God and find freedom in the truth that Jesus has provided for us as the King of Kings, the mighty God. So Jesus is a Messiah King who is good in his compassion. He's good in his provision of our needs, but also in the truth that he taught. And finally, we see in our third point, he's good as the Messiah King who abundantly blesses us? Look at verses nineteen to twenty-one with me. Then he ordered the crowds. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. I want right, to show you something here. Matthew wrote this story, and he wrote the Gospels as a good Jewish man with a catalog of rich Jewish images in his mind. And he wrote to good Jewish people in the first century who were the same way. And for them, if you mention, if you just describe the crossing of a sea followed by a miraculous feeding, it would bring to mind the greatest defining story of Israel the story of the Exodus, the story where God rescued his people from slavery. And then after he, that, he, he led them through the Red Sea to the prophet Moses and into the wilderness where he fed them with manna. So Matthew's writing these things. He's recording what actually happened. But also, I think it's bringing to mind other events in the way that God has acted in the history of Israel. But Jesus in this story is far greater than Moses. Because in the wilderness of Galilee, it wasn't just Moses talking to God and then God sending manna from heaven. In the wilderness of Galilee, as the 5,000 were fed, it's God himself with his people. Feeding his people with his own hands when they hungered. Isn't that amazing? God himself come to his people to feed them. And what's the result of of God now feeding his people in this way that that reminds us of the exodus events? Well, verses 20 to 21. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And what a contrast with the banquet we saw under King Herod. What a wild contrast. There we saw King Herod feeding his elite guests with the very best, the best chefs at the time could prepare, but the people left sick to their stomachs with the image of John's head in their minds. And here, God incarnate in humility feeds his people a simple meal and they leave abundantly blessed and satisfied. I think that, That language of satisfaction, the language even of the leftovers is a little bit weak in this translation. It makes sense in the English and it describes the story, but I think there's a lot more here because the idea isn't just that there were some leftovers. It was that there was more than enough. That there was this extravagant abundance and blessing that resulted from the feeding of Jesus of his people. One of my favorite memories Uh, Growing up would be the holiday meals with family. I had a huge family. They'd all come over. And eating those meals, I was literally overwhelmed with the food. Right? We'd have turkey, but we'd also have ham. And we'd have the stuffing. And we'd have the potatoes. And we'd have, you know, the pickles and the pickled onions and the olives. And on and on and on and on. Like the the feast was enormous. And we'd get to dessert. And it would be pies and more pies and more pies and ice cream more than I could possibly eat. But I'd try. I try, I would routinely make myself sick at our Thanksgiving meals uh, as a child, trying to eat all this food. And then, after all that eating was finished, there would inevitably be infinite leftovers It seemed we We'd be eating turkey sandwiches for the next couple of weeks. There's like so much abundance. The picture here, I think, in this text, is similar. It's not a picture of just meeting the needs of the people, but of Jesus in his richness as the King of Kings supplying life with abundance far beyond what anyone could ask or imagine. And there's even more here than that, Chris City. Because God didn't become a human being in the person of Jesus just to give the crowds fish and bread and remind them of a past event of the Exodus. It's not what he did. He came as a king of kings and lord of lords to move us forward to beckon us and invite us into the fullness of life that he'd come to bring. To finally and fully and completely abundantly satisfy and bless us, sinful humanity, dead in our sins, to satisfy us in reconciled relationship with God most high. See, the Exodus and the feeding of the 5,000, they just anticipate a bigger, more satisfying feast. You know what it is? It's the feast of Jesus Christ giving us himself. And as the God-man, Jesus Christ lifted up the bread to heaven that day to bless it, to feed his people, to break it, and to feed those in the crowd. Matthew wants us to remember a different story. One that would come a little bit later. One recorded in Matthew 25 this feeding where we see Jesus as king stand out far above and beyond every other king who has ever been. Because in King Jesus we see a king who didn't remain aloof from his people, separated from us in his palace. Jesus didn't stay in heaven, distant from us to let us suffer, separated from God in our sin when we were too sinful and too weak to ever climb our way back up into relationship with God, God became a human and he lowered himself down to pursue us and to bring us into relationship with himself. And through his death on the cross, Jesus paid the debt that we owe to God for our sin to give us himself, to feed us with himself. So by his death and his shed blood we could be forgiven and forever reconciled and brought near in relationship with God. You see, Jesus wants to satisfy our restless souls. He's come to feed us with himself so that forever we'd be quiet in the depths of his glory and presence and love and grace. This is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has come to give himself to you. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, he summarizes it so succinctly. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? For a reason. That he might bring you to God. That he might give you himself in relationship. So Christ City, you were made to worship. You were made to worship. You are people that are full of desires. You're people that are hungry to be satisfied. But the bread that you were meant to eat is not the bread of the various things in this world that you get distracted by or pulled away to. The bread you're meant to eat is Jesus. To be satisfied by loving and serving and obeying and worshiping and praying and following Jesus. To devote yourself to the building of his kingdom to the ministry of his church, to live all your days feeding on Jesus. I think sometimes we we don't come to Jesus because we think he must be a stingy king to ask me to let go of the things I've been pursuing. But he's not a stingy king. His banquet is richer and his rule is greater by far than anything you could be pursuing in this life. So come, feast on Christ. Be satisfied in him. See, Jesus is good, Christ, to thee, because he's the king who looks at us with compassion, who provides what we need and blesses us with abundance. And that matters for each of us. And it matters because in this world, we all have a choice. We can listen and obey and agree with the kingdom of this world and its leadership that does not and cannot bless us or we can embrace the good rule of King Jesus who cares for us, who provides for us, and blesses us abundantly. Can I, can I encourage you? Live for Jesus. Obey Jesus. Follow Jesus. Devout your life to building up his kingdom through his church and sharing his goodness with everyone around you. And the best news by far is that King Jesus is a resurrected king. And that means that no matter what you might give up, no matter what you might suffer in following him with loyalty, it will be worth it. All his promises are guaranteed on the basis of his resurrection on the promise that he will resurrect you to be with him forever so that the bad things in your life can only ever work for good. So that the good things that he's given to you now can never be ultimately taken away from you. So that the best things that he promises in the fullness of his kingdom are still yet to come. Serve this king. Would you pray with me? God, we we come to you and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would turn us to you in obedience and in trusting faith. Lord, we pray that you would capture our heart's desires by the supremacy of your goodness, that you would fill our minds with your truth and our hearts with your love, that we would obey you and serve you all of our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.